0: I believe on the screen is a picture, Um, almost, the picture is of a rainbow, I thought it was a cool rainbow, I took this picture in this city, three weeks ago, when I was driving home from state, Um, it's a double rainbow, right? Yeah, it's a double rainbow, I don't want to keep turning around, but I just want to believe that it's there. So... um, (coughs) I like this rainbow I literally wanted to see it for a long time so I literally drove around the city for the fun of it so I could see it at different angles and it was was fascinating at different times it looked bigger and brighter and everywhere I went around the city the rainbow was still there and for most of us we are what captivated by rainbows when we see them in the air we usually look at them some of us will bust out of our phone cameras and, and take a picture of them like I did. I think I took this one driving in the car, so that's not the best thing to do, but we, we did it. Um, <coughs> and even uh, Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz, this is my second Wizard of Oz co- quote in, in this month, said, somewhere over the rainbow, there is a land where dreams really do come true. Kermit the Frog, yes, the theologian that he is, um, we are all one rainbow and someday we'll find it. Um, my whole point is what? Rainbows, what? Grab our attention. They're bright, they're brilliant, and they're beautiful. And maybe someone could explain on a scientific level, but I do know a few things about how rainbow works. I know it involves the sun. <laughs> I know it involves the water. And I know the, water ref- the, the light of, from the sun reflects from the water. And... In this special angle, and it reflects this light. A few little details here about the rain <coughs> and it reflecting, or um, the, sh- the, the light reflecting off the rain. It calls for some, some particularities to happen. If the angle between the reflected light and <coughs> needs to literally hit, the light needs to hit at an angle, a surface angle that is greater than 48 degrees, and then the light will reflect back um, (coughs) from the raindrop. Usually a rainbow is seen when part of the sky is dark and there is rain, and (coughs) the other part of the sky, there's what? There's sun shining on the other side. And so (coughs) for the rainbow to be visible, the sun is behind the observer, who is in effect facing the rainbow, right? That's how we usually experience seeing a rainbow. So that's a little bit on the rainbow from that angle. Um, about six and a half years ago during Christmas season, answer Genesis, they basically finished their um, replica of the ark and they decided to shine a rainbow on it. It makes sense, right? This is a real ark. It's Life size. I don't think it really floats in the water, but I'd be curious if it could. Um, but this is um, <clears throat> something I've been mentioning to you guys. Um, <clears throat> not everyone liked the fact that this rainbow, this rainbow lit up this arc. The LGBTQ community was upset because <clears throat> they felt that Answers in Genesis, this Christian apologetic group stole their logo, they were a little bit upset and they had kind of a hissy fit over it. Um, Even though they adopted this logo and symbol back in 1978 when I was five years old, so they rightfully claimed the rainbow to be theirs, at least in their mind. But today we are going to learn where the rainbow really came from, And the LGBTQ community will find out they actually stole it from God because he's the one who created and made the rainbow and gave it particular meaning. And so we are going to remind ourselves what that meaning was, what the purpose was, how it fit in in human history. And so so, um, I want to just put this down before you that God made the rainbow, he made it as a sign for us today, basically that he's presently restraining his wrath. We'll just kind of leave it at that, and we'll kind of dig into it more. But as we look at the rainbow, may, as we look at it, we're going to go back to see the original meaning and the true origin of the rainbow from Genesis chapter nine verses eight to seventeen. We're going to look at three features. So that we would know the significant of God, significance of God's rainbow, or some people call it the Noahic Covenant. So, we're going to look at three, three features today. God's unconditional covenant. Feature number two, God's undeniable rainbow. And then feature number three is God's unbreakable or unforgettable promise. So, we're going to back up a little bit. Just because if you just kind of jump in this passage, you're like, how does this fit in? Especially if you haven't been here regularly or if you're not familiar with the book of Genesis. um, You will know that in the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. God created the world, the universe, the heavens and earth and everything that is in them. He made a perfect world. And then he created what? Man, Adam and Eve. And they lived in perfect harmony with the animals. And we found out last week that Adam and Eve were most likely vegetarians because sin didn't enter into the world and humanity lived, or Adam and Eve lived in harmony with animals at that time. And then we know about 1500 years passed, and basically, what? People had more babies. We are now out of the garden because Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God, and God said, Yes, you will surely die, and they eventually did, but along with that came with the consequences of sin, and that was basically a heart that is rebellious toward God, um, thus rebellious toward others. (coughs) And so we see sin increase, and God said, I'm going to wipe out this earth because he's not happy with where humanity has gone, so he sends this great flood. And during that time, what happens? God tells Noah and his family to build an ark, not a boat. And they got on this boat, and excuse me, this ark, and it rescued them for 150 days. That's a long time to be on an ark. And we know last in this last few months that they, Noah and his family disembarked with all the other animals. Setting up last week's message, which was the new world, God reminded them what? To continue to be fruitful and to multiply that... Um, that hasn't stopped, but he also said that there's a different relationship with the animals. Now, they will not necessarily be in harmony with you. There will be a new dominion, and there will be a fear and dread, generally, with animals and humans. God sets up a new eating setup. Prior, it was a more of a vegetarian diet. Now, meat and animals are included. And then last week, we also saw that God installed the death penalty. And so that's where we're at. And so today we're going to look at 10 verses. As you look at these 10 verses, as Brody read most of them, there's a word that comes up, I believe, seven times in these 10 verses, and it's repeated over and over. You guys see it? It's the word covenant. It's the word covenant. Um, This is the very, 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 very first time that this word comes up. In this order of scripture, up to chapter 9. And so we want to define covenant. There's different types of covenant. Um, I realize in our generation, we don't really understand covenant too well because our generation just thinks it's some kind of cheap agreement that we just break. When it doesn't work for us, we just break it because um, it doesn't fit for whatever reason. But um, as you think through the scriptures, there are different covenants. And some covenants are conditional. <clears throat> God made some, con- some covenant as conditional promises where God says, Hey, I will do this if man obeys me. Okay? And there's other times He makes co- unconditional promises or unconditional covenants where God says, Hey, I'm going to do this for you, mankind. And it, it has nothing to do with you being ob- obedient. Or disobedient. Uh, God just literally says, I'm going to do this for you. So in other words, theologians basically say, hey, there are unilateral or one-sided covenant or bilateral two-sided covenants. Okay. So this morning as we walk through the Noahic covenant or the rainbow covenant, I want you to think through, is this a bilateral covenant or a unilateral covenant? Is it a conditional covenant or an unconditional covenant? Um, just for the fun of it, I'm going to give you some of the other covenants in the Bible. We have the Noahic Covenant, the Abrahamic Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, the Davidic Covenant, and in the New Testament. We have the New Covenant. All right, We won't look at all those today, but I just want you to know they're out there. So when you're reading the Bible, like, oh yeah, a pastor said this. That wasn't Davidic Covenant or something. Um, but let's begin with the first, first feature, feature number one. We're down in verses 8 through 11 and 15. We see God's, well, I guess I gave you the answer to a certain degree, God's unconditional covenant. Moses pins on the direction of the Holy Spirit in verse 8. Then God, God here in the Hebrew is El That's the um, person of God um, as divinity in the masculine plural. Like I read it in English, it says G-O-D. I don't see plural. But in the Hebrew language, it draws out the fact that (coughs) Elohim is masculine. God is masculine and also has the plural idea and brings in the idea of the Trinity all together. So God in three, the triune God is in play here. So then God said to Noah, God is speaking to to Noah himself and his three sons. So in other words, God is speaking to what? All of humanity. He addresses all eight of them. The men represent their respective wives, Noah's wife and his three sons and their respective wives. So the sum of humanity is being addressed right here. It's kind of weird, right? Eight people, that's all of humanity. Well, that's what it was at that time. All of humanity is being addressed right here. God is speaking directly to this family, actually four families, um, essentially the whole human race, and he says in verse 9, Behold, God is calling for their undivided attention. He doesn't want them looking at their phones or daydreaming, right? He he says, Behold. In other words, pay attention. What God's going to say is going to be very precise, very specific, um, inspired language through the Holy Spirit, and God is going (coughs) to give us what? The Rainbow Covenant. The Noahic covenant, a very unique feature. And he wants them to pay attention. He wants them to get them not to miss this important um, unconditional covenant right here. And he says, This I establish my covenant with you. Who's establishing this covenant? God is establishing this covenant with you and your offsprings after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. For it is for every beast of the earth. Again, God says in verse 11, I establish my covenant with you. So this is what? A unilateral or bilateral covenant? Unilateral. You guys got it there. God is establishing this covenant. It's a one-way covenant. God is saying, hey, I'm making this covenant on behalf of me, myself, God, for you, um, <clears> on <throat> the people on this earth and also, also all living creatures on this earth. And so in verse 11, I'll read this again. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the water by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Is this true? Well, since this was written, there's never been, what, another worldwide global flood. We've had small, localized floods. And so what kind of covenant is this? And we've answered that. This is a unilateral covenant. It's an unconditional covenant. And <clears throat> these are the key components. And the basis of this covenant being carried through is on the basis of what? What? God himself. And God's what? His character. And his character that is what? Worthy to be trusted and praised. And so God is banking on himself to carry his very own covenant through. Hey, there's no negotiation with man. Um, There's no mutual agreement here. God is simply saying, Hey, I'm making this covenant with you. Okay, Um, We see... (coughs) In verse 9 and 11, what I said earlier, it is God who is establishing this covenant. The word establish comes from the Hebrew word Qum, C-U-U-M, and it means to make firm or to stand, <coughs> to make solid, um, to make concrete. This is a covenant that's locked, unbreakable, made by God. Um, there's no conditions um, for man to, to follow through with, to validate. Here, it's all based on God. It's an unconditional, unilateral covenant. If you jump down in verse 15, we see that it says here, I, referring to God, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never become a flood to destroy all flesh. Okay, So God is literally saying, I will remember. And you might be thinking, does God have memory issues? <laughs> no. But he's, he's stating it out for the purposes of his hearers so they can understand that God is going to say and make this promise and make this covenant and he's going to follow through with it. And so, so we looked at the first feature. God's made an unconditional Unilateral covenant with humanity and all the animals not to destroy the earth. And we'll also see a second feature, and that is what? God's undeniable bow or rainbow here. Um, he gives us a reminder and symbol of this covenant that we'll never forget. And we still see and experience today. So we see this in verses 12 to 14 and 16. God is speaking in verse 12. literally says, God said, and he's addressing all of humanity once again, And so he says here, and God said, this is a sign of the covenant covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. God is giving a sign. He's giving, what, a symbol for all successive generations. And he's given us a sign of what? A rainbow. A rainbow. And this... Um, um, this is not an everlasting covenant in a sense it's eternal goes beyond this life but it's everlasting or lasting in the sense of this covenant will be around for all time Um, what is all time? well if you go back to chapter 8 verse 22 for as long as the earth remains we get the idea there so that's the duration of this covenant while the earth remains so so we know that um, ever since this covenant has been established, um, around 1,500 years after creation, until now, which I believe is another 4,500 years, or at least we're using the the genealogy to establish some lines of dating. Um, we get about <coughs> 6,000 years from now till from then till now. And 4,500 years from this place, point it was uh, spoken and declared till now. Um, <clears throat> and so as we move specifically to verse 13 and 14, God continues to build this thought. He says, I have set my bow in the clouds. He says, where they're at. And he's saying, this is my bow. This is my rainbow. And it, is, it shall be a sign of the covenant between what? Me and the earth. He says this over and over. Like, God doesn't want us to forget this or miss this. Over and over, he says, this is my covenant. Who's it for? And in relationship to the earth. And so it goes on in verse 14. Um, and I want you to see and recognize that what we're talking about here is the age of grace. Um, in verse 14, it says, When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds... Again, um, God this over and over, and so this is to remind us what? God is keeping this promise. God is not going to look at humanity like He did before and say, hey, there's lots of humanity, there's a lot more sin, it continues to increase. He's not going to say, I'm going to wipe it out again. Right? He's made this promise to, you, to us, all of humanity, and to us, unilaterally, unconditionally, that He's going to keep. And His reminder for us himself and his reminder for us is what? This rainbow. This rainbow reminds us that God is what? Being merciful to us in this season, in this dispensation, in this age, um, this age of grace, if you would. So um, God gives us a what? A visual reminder. In verse 16, When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all the flesh that is on the earth. So it's all there. So every time you look at the rainbow, we're reminded of what? The victory of grace over judgment. Um, We're reminded that even though we deserve judgment and condemnation, here we're reminded what? That the Lord is gracious and mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy's not going to last forever, but it's lasting for what? Centuries now? Thousands of years now? That's very merciful on God's part. And so we know um, God's mercy triumphs over His judgment and wrath. But God is not going to hold this back forever. And one day, yes, we will be judged, the living and the dead. But until then, we have this opportunity to share this mercy with others, to experience this mercy here and now. In summary, um, Ken Ham wraps this up. Um, It was nice to see Ken Ham uh, last week. Was it last week, Austin? Or two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. So, Ken Ham was in town um, sharing about his ministry, and it's amazing how they've expanded. Like, I want to go back to see the Ark and the Creation Museum, but they have all these plans to build more and more things. It's kind of like a way better Christian Disneyland. All right, they're they're thinking about rides now and roller coasters. And so, literally, the person that was involved with making the rides there we found out as a Christian and says, you know, I can make rides here for for the Creation Museum too (laughs) at minimal cost. Um, And and so I don't know if I want to go right away or wait many years so more of these things are are built and stuff before seeing it. But Ken Ham is a faithful scholar, especially to Genesis chapter 1. He's done a lot to scholarly and scientifically look at everything in light of scripture. And I encourage you to go or to get online and uh, (coughs) check out his ministry. Um, One, uh, What else do I want to say there? I mean this definitely should be in our curriculum, um, in our homes, in our churches, because the world is teaching a lot of opinions, a lot of non-facts. Um, a lot of things that not, has not been proven, um, <coughs> even their own, it's just their own ideas um, <coughs> and bad science. So I thank God for Ken Ham. Um, so he says this, God makes an unconditional promise to the animals and man. This means this promise cannot be broken. This means this promise cannot be broken. Did I just say that twice or did you write that on purpose? <laughs> He promises never to send another flood like the one that had occurred. Now, there's been lots of local floods since that time. So if God's promise is, is true, which it is, then God must be referring to something other than local, a local flood. And, of course, He's referring to the global flood of Noah's day. He, God, promised to never again send such a flood event to wipe out all land and all humans except those saved on the ark. That's a nice summary. And so we looked at the unconditional covenant, um, that God would never, ever send a worldwide flood and wipe out all of humanity. God has given us this amazing, beautiful sign that came from God Himself, not the other group. Um but this sign was to remind us of God's faithfulness, His love, His promise, and the fact that He will never destroy humanity again with a worldwide flood. And then the last feature is really one verse verse 17. God's unbreakable or unforgettable promise really directed back to Noah and his family in verse 17. God said to Noah, specifically Noah, to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. God is determined to make this Promise on his own without any conditions or any consultation with man. Um, It's literally God's unilateral covenant for our good and his glory. Rainbow. So every time you see the rainbow, remember that this is God's um, sign. This is God's symbol for us. And a lot of times I think of the rainbows that are what... The big ones, bigger, better. Two is even better. But I'll count the rainbows that I remember playing with, even as a little kid, when I was the age of Alyssa and Brendan's kids, three, four, five years old, when my dad would turn on the sprinklers in the front yard. And at certain angles, I would see little rainbows all over the place, and I'd run through it, and, and there'd be rainbows in different angles. Those rainbows count too, all right? Because they are reflecting God's creation and color. Those smaller there. Um, I want to wrap up with another quote and look at um, three perspectives on and with application. John MacArthur gives a final capulation here, and he says the whole flood story is a revelation of God's holy wrath. God, God is the God of vengeance. God is a God of judgment, a God of wrath. But the rainbow is a sign that God is also a God of mercy a god of grace, a god of patience, a god of and a god of peace. There will be a final wrath to come in which the universe will be destroyed by fire and all sinners will perish. Between the flood and the final time is a period of grace and the bow of God and the bow of the warrior hangs in all its beauty over the earth against the cloud of judgment, as the beauty of grace touching heaven at its ark and touching earth at its end. It tells all humanity that God is gracious to sinners. I found this really encouraging, um, that our is gracious and gracious for of years. So we find ourselves in Grace Period. My friend started a ministry in Berkeley, and he literally called it Grace Period. And I thought it was a cool name, and I'll never forget it. I'd never heard of another ministry called Grace Period. So, um, three angles I want to point out here. One, God promised to show mercy, to preserve the natural order of things, on to the end of time, so that salvation, what, could be accomplished by Christ. If we consider Hebrews chapter 12, I mean eight verse 12, The author of Hebrew, the Holy Spirit, said this: "For, I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Um, by virtue of the cross, God says, "What? I will be merciful." To their iniquities. So God what? Makes a provision for the sins of mankind. He says he'll be merciful. And he sends Jesus Christ on the cross. And on the cross, one of the biggest things happened. God what? By his mercy, he absorbs the full wrath of God for us. That, 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 that wrath was supposed to be sent on all of humanity, but he, what, took it upon himself on the cross. Number two, God promised to show mercy, to preserve the natural order of things to the end of time, so that salvation accomplished by Christ could be applied to all of God's elect by faith alone in Christ alone. And so we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, In verse 4 it says, but God. This is a huge but here, because it contrasts the previous verses, where what? Man is dead in the trespasses of sins. We are once what? Followers of the Prince of the Air Peace. Essentially, we're followers of Satan. Um, we are objects of God's wrath. But in verse 4 it says, but God, what? Being what? Rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. Because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God took the initiative. And what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And if you jump to verses 8 and 9, you will know that we are saved by faith alone. And so... That's a perspective for us to receive God's grace here today. And for others, understand why God is merciful now. Why this rainbow is a reminder that God is holding His wrath, His judgment. It's so that others would have this opportunity to come to know Him during this grace period. It's for believers to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, but it begins with what? Across the pew? Across the street? Across the cubicle? To your teammates? To the other team? To the referees? To everyone around you? And then thirdly, God promises to show mercy, to preserve the natural order of things to the end of time, so that God's people should be sanctified. Um... And there's a lot of areas of sanctification, but one would be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. For those who have received God's mercy and they've experienced that, the more you've experienced God's mercy and you recognize that, yeah, I should be somewhere else right now, suffering in agony. When you experience the depth of how merciful God is, was to you, is to you, and continues to be, the more you what? You share and demonstrate and reflect mercy to others. Some of us, me at times, can be quick to what? Judge and condemn for a lot of different reasons instead of show mercy. But I want you to see that the Lord is patient and the Lord is merciful. And so he calls us what? To do the same. To show and to share his mercy. Because he is the merciful one. And as we do that and experience God's mercy in our life, he says what? One day we shall receive mercy. Mercy from what? The penalty of sin. Mercy from from judgment. And so... um. This is the shortest sermon I've ever preached. I don't know what happened to me. I didn't have enough verses. I'm really done. But I want you to bask and think about God's mercy. God's mercy in your life. And the fact that mercy triumphs over judgment. Um, As we transition, um, the guys will be going over... um, spiritual leadership, ladies, you guys could go deep and think about mercy, Um, receiving mercy, giving mercy, the significance of the Rainbow Covenant, and so forth. But let's pray, and we'll bring up the music team, and we'll go from there. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us your scriptures. Um, You have painted a picture of what mercy looks like. Um, You've given us the reminder, um, the sign, the symbol for us every time we see the rainbow. And may this reminder remind us to be quick to show and give mercy. To remind us of your finished work on the cross. That you showed your mercy to us there too. Not just by the rainbows, but by your finished work on the cross. And as the Spirit of God works in us today in this period of mercy, may we um, experience mercy in our heart and that we will show mercy to others. For you are the merciful one and there are many, millions, billions in this world that need Your mercy. So we do think of our neighbors, our relatives, our friends, our co-workers, our teammates, our classmates, and people around the world in third world countries, first and second world countries, countries where there's minimal gospel presence. Lord, that you would allow your mercy to go forth to those places. But there's probably another place where mercy needs to go, maybe with one another in our relationships, in your church, um, in other churches, and in our families. Lord, may we reflect the mercy that we have received through the person of Jesus Christ. May we reflect it to others around us, in Jesus' name, amen.